Greetings. This is Cassandra. So I am a little late today, but I'm going to go ahead and get right to it. For those of you who've been joining me periodically or regularly, um, my name is Cassandra and I am, hey, DJ Speedy, what's up? Oh my gosh. Um, so anyway, I am going to continue with what I've been doing for about three months now, the continued reading of The Great Cosmic Mother, Rediscovering the Religion of the Earth by Monica Zhu and Barbara Moore. Um, some of you may be tuning in live on Instagram, others live on uh, YouTube. But anyway, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in any intro. I'm just going to go ahead and get started. Today I am reading chapter 45 of The Great Cosmic Mother. Um, this chapter... This chapter is entitled The Witch Hunts. Um, and so, just for those who are tuning in on Instagram, this book I've been reading since February and um, will continue until the reading is complete, which uh, may take maybe another couple weeks. I'm reading three days a week. So if you would like to go back and catch up, um, you can go to my YouTube page, which is Iapo, I-Y-A-P-O, Ingina, N-G-I-N-A, and um, just look in my videos. Yeah, just look at my videos, and we'll get started. You know, you can go and catch up or whatever. We're on Chapter 45, so I'll begin. I'm only going to read for an hour today. The chapter is very long, so we might get to the middle of it. <clears throat> If life is inherently evil, the church fathers needed someone to blame. And who is better to blame than woman who creates life from her own body? Living women also can be publicly punished as the iconic and illusory devil can never be. Oh shit. The myth of feminine evil, which has dominated the Western world for over 2,000 years, led logically and directly to the religious, uh, the religiously targeted murder of women as witches during the great inquisition of europe until recently the number of deaths from the inquisition was euphemistically underestimated as a way of denying about 500 years of systematic persecution and slaughter by the holy christian church now perhaps deaths are overestimated we don't know the estimates range from 1 million to 9 million people uh burned or stoned or drowned as witches between the 15th and 18th centuries, between 1200 and 1484, people were officially killed as heretics. Uh, one number is certain of people, <clears throat> of people punished for witchcraft in Europe, 80% of those accused, tortured and burnt were women. Town records from Germany and France reveal that whole villages were emptied of their female populations during the peak of the fire frenzy, including very young girls and very elderly women. Travelers of the time reported countrysides hideously littered with the stakes and pyres of burned women. Large numbers of homosexual men were also tortured and burnt at the stake. In fact, this is the origin of the term faggot to denote a male homosexual 
a homosexual uh, homosexual men were bound together at the foot of witch pyres, their bodies used as faggots to kindle the flames. In Europe, at first, Christianity was a religion of the elite. It was an um, affectation of feudal lords and later kings who made Latin the official court Latin, the official court, as well as church language, and who kept Christian priests around as house clerics. The large masses of people remained as they were, pagan, i.e. peasants on the land, practicing the ancient agricultural goddess rites. Unexpectedly for the Roman church, however, its three centuries of crusades to the Holy Lands had an ideological side effect. Returning feudal lords brought back exotic religious and lifestyle ideas, including the tantric sexual arts from the lands of the infidels, i.e. Islam with strong Moorish pagan undertones, um, i.e. Islam with strong uh, Moorish pagan undertones. The European elite, nominally Christian, especially those in the most civilized parts of Europe, which were southern France, the wealthy cities of, the, of central France, Italy, Belgium, and the Rhinelands, were abandoning the fad of Christianity for more sensual and joyful spiritual amusements, including communal sex and bisexuality. Not to mention Goliad and Travert, troubadour poetry, and romantic lute music, lute from the Arabic, al-Oud, the wood, which was often composed and sung by wandering ex-monks in celebration of wine, women, and song. Their lyrics often mocked the church by turning hymns to the Virgin into erotic love songs to Venus and portrayed Christian clerics as drunken bums. The Roman Catholic Church was uneasy in Europe at this time, being constantly accused of priestly corruption, luxuriousness, and political religious um, chicanery. Europeans were backsliding into their indigenous paganism. Gnostic beliefs were circulating sub rosa and, and communities of medieval hippies were springing up everywhere. The threatened church could not tolerate the mass apostasy of its rich southern feudal elites. Engaging in shady political deals with some northern feudal lords, um, with some northern feudal lords, it arranged for the massacres of the Knights Templar and other sexual mystical communes of southern France. Whoa. So. Of southern France. Thus, circa 1200 was the, uh, was the Inquisition invented. The church claimed it was punishing heretics. In fact, these first slaughters of the playful and poetic Southern French aristocracy, the Roman Catholic, the Roman Church was declaring its political intention to stay in power in Europe by any means necessary, including the murder of anyone who questioned its power or simply adopted a lifestyle of which it did not politically approve. Originally, the church had no punishment for witchcraft. In fact, it was considered heresy to believe in the possibility of a, of a bewitchment. People were simply condemned for the delusions of flying, enchantment, and the like. But in the mid-15th century, Roman Catholic-dominated Europe was in hideous turmoil once again. It had undergone the Black Plague, 
the Hundred Years' War, and so many other physical manifestations of its spiritual morbidity under Christianity. Nations were beginning to mark borders and gather secular power under kings vis-a-vis universal power of the Roman Empire, of the Roman Pope and his archbishops throughout Europe. The church had already established a pattern of accumulating and tightening its secular, its secular power by way of religious purges, heretic hunting. By this means, it terrorized and eliminated its political ideological enemies and at the same time diverted or co-opted the seething sexual revolutionary energies of the masses of the people. In 1884, therefore, Pope Innocent, Pope Innocent pronounced the papal bull against the now suddenly discovered crime of witchcraft. He announced witchcraft as an organized conspiracy of the devil's army against the peace and common order of the holy Christian empire, a peace and common order which people living under that empire had rarely experienced. And... Thus, the war against women was officially launched by the Christian papacy as a divisionary tactic to keep itself in power through the strategy of sheer terror. Two years later, in, 18, in 1486, two Dominican monks, uh, Henrik Kramer and Jacob Springer, published a book, uh, published a book called Malleus Mel, uh, Maleficum. Fiercerum, or which translated to Hexenhammer or the Hammer of the Witches. This book, in which femina is derived from the Latin fem minus, lacking in faith, high shite, lacking in faith. Oh my God, was the official handbook of the witch hunters who found it who found in it priestly and psychological justification for their already religiously aggravated hatred and fear of women it became the indispensable authority of the inquisition for the inquisition during the next 300 years of mass terror and persecution throughout europe the hammer stated that the human females were by nature agents and tools of the devil and it gave explicit instructions for recognizing the signs of the devil and, uh, uh, excuse me, of signs of devil possession. Any wart, mole, or freckle, any other skin blemish was a sign that a woman had been kissed by Satan and was evidence enough to send her to the stake. Behavior also was stigmatic. The way a woman or young girl dressed the way she walked or talked, her hairstyle, oh my God, the way she moved her eyes, any suspicious or envy, any suspicions or envy that she might arouse in neighbors, any uniqueness, any creativity, authority, or stubbornness of mind she might display for any reason whatsoever, all all was the signature of the devil in her flesh. For wasn't woman born in God's own words to entertain Satan in her private parts and thus to engender, excuse me, and thus to endanger the souls of men. 
in Kramer's and Springer's professional opinions, only the rarest of females, the dead ones, were proof against demonic seduction and inhabitation, baby. Y'all ain't hearing. Mm-mm. Come on. Come on in. Get this word. Thus was tumultuous Europe given a reason for all its woes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Come on, man. This shit reading like it was written yesterday. Thus, in tumultuous Europe, unless you want to substitute that for um, tumultuous America, I'm just saying, uh, uh, thus was tumultuous Europe given a reason for all its woes. Oh, my God. Cher says La Femme and burned her. The Malleus Malefericum uh, inflamed the paranoia and hatred of the male of the male mind against the female flesh. Hmm. Okay. Um, let's see. The Malleus Malefericum. Uh, Inflame the paranoia and hatred of the male mind against the female flesh and mental autonomy. <clears throat> and in the hands of the local priest, preacher, and judge, sanctified the arrest, torture, and burning of any woman who was denounced. Millions of European women, among them the best and bravest minds of their day, for these were days of cowards and fools, the only type who survived in large numbers. Oh, my God. The Christian. Sorry about that. The Christian witch hunts. Or the Christian witch burners were obsessed with sex. And witch hammer. Witch hammer constantly equates the devil with sexual activity. The power of the devil lies in the privy parts of men, end quote. It was also believed that all material life sprang from semen. Bodily speaking, sons and less valued daughters were owned by the father. As such, as much a part of the master's property as were servants and animals. Women, with their devil-inspired power over sex, were thus a major threat to a man's possessions, not only his soul, but all other worldly goods. Witches were accused of instigating extramarital sex, um, of inhabiting, uh, excuse me, inhibiting potency, hindering conception, slaying infants in the womb, all threats to the patrilineal property inheritance. For every impotent man, a woman could be Oh, my God. For every impotent man, a woman could be tortured and burned. Oh, my God. Within the Grim Inquisition torture chambers also, um, purience and piety were two joined hands. Women were raped and sexually abused by their official torturers as they lay chained to dungeon walls or spread out naked on rack on the racks, all with the blessings of the priest who readily rationalized 
these activities as devil exorcism. The torture instruments were blessed by the priest before they were used. Kramer and Springer, the two Dominican monks who wrote the hammer, were eventually chastised by the Catholic Church for their habit of going around to German villages and fabricating evidence of witchery. For example, Kramer paid an old drunk woman to hide in ovens and make weird noises, thus proving to her neighbors that the woman of the house was possessed. But of course, this chastisement was not severe. Even if evidence against a woman was fabricated, she probably was a witch anyway, or could be one someday, perhaps. An ounce of prevention and so many women had already been burned or would be burned. There was no way to stop it. Originally plotted and engineered by the Catholic Church, the European witch burnings took and took on an atmosphere of a natural holocaust, spiritual fires set by God, burning out the evil plagues of the human soul. Witchcraft was unavoidably political. It was what remained of the, na the native pagan European religion kept alive through 1,000 years of Roman church imperialism and imported Christian ideology. Witchcraft was the religion of the countryside people and served as a tribal core around which uh, potential and actual revolt could be mounted. Woo! Mm -mm. Okay. King Richard was a witch. He dreamed of leading a pagan uprising against European Christian churches. Against European Christian churches. Let's see. Let's, let's, let me go back. It says King Richard was a witch. He dreamed of leading a pagan uprising against the European Christian courts and churches, but the crusades drained off resources and energy from his plans. Too many feudal lords chose to go off go off to fight in, uh, let's see, in the Palestinian Holy Lands rather than remain at home fighting for their own pagan lands, the holy soil of the old religion. Come on. Witchcraft was why the church allowed Joan of Arc to be burned. She could not only lead France against its secular enemies, she might also lead the people against the oppressive dominance of the French-owned church, of the French church crown. For Joan of Arc was a native European witch uh, resonating to the needs and dreams of the peasantry. In the wrestling match for power between the Catholic Church and the new Reformation Protestant sects, witches were made scapegoats by both sides. In German Catholic villages and towns, priests directed the people to burn Protestants and witches. In German Protestant towns and villages, preachers called for the burning of Catholics and witches. In this endless sectarian in these endless sectarian games, which make up most of European history, uh, most of European history, people's conditioned biophobias, the endless paranoias and hatreds produced by dogmatic repression were systematically directed by the Christian church against witches, women, and other scapegoats, and thus diverted from rebellion against what was truly oppressing them, the unearthed wealth, power, and corruption of the Christian church itself. Martin Luther has been uh, bollyhooed as a freedom-loving reformer. In fact, um, he was the same tyrant in stubbornly unpriestly garb. All the reformist men were fanatic haters of witchcraft. 
shouted Luther, quote, I would have no compassion on the witches. I would burn them all, end quote. Martin Luther raged against the peasant rebellions that were breaking out everywhere because the peasants were pagans. Luther believed the revolts were instigated and led by witches and Satan. Oh, my God. Y'all ain't, oh, oh, my God. Y'all ain't hearing. Y'all are not hearing. We are talking history, but we are talking the present at the same time. He, listen, it says Martin Luther raged against the peasant rebellions that were breaking out everywhere because the peasants were pagans. Luther believed that the revolts were instigated and led by witches and Satan, not by oppression, not by fucking witch burnings, not by torture and theft of property. No, by witches and Satan. He saw clearly that these indigenous uprisings threatened the imperialist Christian church crown control of Europe which he fully supported. He called for the merciless slaughter of all the rebellious peasants in God's name. Five centuries of Holy Inquisition, especially the intensive 300 years of the witch, um, of, let's see, 500 years of the witch hunts following the Papal Bull of 1484 were a means were a means of increasing the real wealth as well as power of the Christian church. The property of every person burned passed directly into the church's possessions, lands, goods, money. And it wasn't just the poor who were born, burned. On the con- excuse me, on the contrary, the Inquisition was finally ended because more and more whole towns were being ravaged and depopulated with leading citizens arrested and brought to, to the stakes. Thousands upon thousands of acres of land, homes, farms, and businesses, personal wealth and goods, all stripped from the accused witch and absorbed into the church. Children of the condemned were forced to stand before the stakes, watching their parents burn. As they watched, they were whipped by the priest as punishment for being spawn of the devil. These children, orphaned and robbed of all of their inheritance except shame and grief, were sent to wander as beggars or imprisoned in Christian orphanages. We can wonder how many of us are descendants of these church disinherited orphans who numbered in the millions. This didn't all happen so long ago. Witches were still being burned daily in the 17th, in 17th century Europe. The Inquisition gave itself license to use any means to force confessions out of the accused. Judicial torture, not, uh, not allowed under native European law, was imported directly from old Roman law for the express purpose of extracting confessions from witches. The proving of devil possession was cunning, for the refusal to confess companionship with Satan was seen as a sign of guilt, as a sure sign of guilt, while confession was heard as clear admission of guilt, though most confessions were extracted only by the hideous, by most, the most hideous torture, both denial and confession were punished with death. In some trials, witches were bound hand and foot and thrown in deep ponds. If they drowned, they were pronounced innocent. If they managed to float, they were hauled out, pronounced guilty, and dragged to the stake. 
professional men called prickers called prickers made a living come listen come on prickers made a living going from town to town sticking needles into women accused women were exposed naked from the waist down in public in in the public square for this purpose the prick was a tool with a hollow shaft allowing the pricker to appear to stick the woman's flesh if she did not let's see if she appearing to stick the woman's flesh if she didn't bleed from the wound she was a witch oh my god y'all ain't hearing what the hell i just said oh my god professional men called prickers made a living going from town to town sticking needles into women accused women were exposed naked from the waist down in the public square for this purpose the prick was a tool with a hollow shaft allowing the pricker to appear to stick the woman's flesh if she didn't bleed from the wound, she was a witch. Of course, with the secret retractable needle, the pricker could guarantee that many women did not bleed. And for each witch he thus exposed to death, he was paid money by the local church and the town government. Many male professionals profited from the witch trials and executions. Local judges, bailiffs, guards, and doctors all got their cut, as well as the torturer and the scaffold maker. In some cases, the accused witch was actually charged for the cost of searching her or his house, transportation to trial, the cost, oh my God, the cost of paper used to record the trial, all food eaten during imprisonment, the cost, huh, the cost of wood consumed during the burning and the travel expenses for two judges to escort the burnt body to a grave site. The witch trial transcripts are hideous, but sobering reading. From such transcripts and for freedom, gleaned the story of, Fre of Frau Paler. It seems a notable ju German judge, Franz Berman, lusted after Frau Paler's sister. The sister refused to sleep with him. In retaliation for her refusal, Frau Peller was arrested. She was arrested. She was arrested in the morning and by 2 p.m. she was tortured. She was exercised, shaved, searched and raped by the torturer's assistant and further tortured. To silence her cries, Judge Berman himself stuffed a dirty handkerchief into her mouth. After being tortured into naming her accomplices in witchcraft, Fra Peller was indeed convicted and burned alive in a hut of, a, of dry straw. Her husband, a court assessor, protested her trial and was thrown out of the courtroom. He died a few months later. Judge Berman was a busy man. In two visits to three small German villages near Bonn, in 1631 and in 1636, he managed to burn alive 150 people from a total of 300 households. Some of the simpler torture instruments were, were um, so, okay, I say this all the time and I didn't, okay, so this is like the worst chapter in the book. Um, so this is a trigger warning for those that are watching, um, but this is what it is, right? This is a trigger warning. Every time I read the book, assume there's a trigger warning, okay? Some of the simpler torture instruments were uh, used were eye gougers, 
branding irons, metal forehead tourniquets, and spine twirlers with sharp metal protrusions. There were the usual thumb screws and leg vices, stocks with iron spikes, and boards with sharp pegs on which people were forced to kneel for hours. One of the more exotic instruments was called the pear. It was roughly the size and shape of a pear, constructed in two metallic, metallic halves, each attached to a handle and hinged on hinged to open like scissors or forceps the pair was heated to red hot then inserted into the prisoner's mouth or anus or vagina and, and spread open as far apart as it would go one renowned trial judge in france jean borden uh, boasted of torturing very uh, very young children and invalids a lawyer philosopher and demonologist considered one of the best minds of his generation, Bowden specialized in cautery and hot irons and then cutting out the, the putrefied flesh of his victims. Feathers were dipped in burning sulfur and clamped in the armpits and groins. People were given scalding baths and water mixed with lime. Bodies were stretched on racks and ladders or suspended by the thumbs with weights attached to the ankles. In the, in the strapado, considered a mild torture, the, uh, the arms are tied behind the back with a rope attached to a pulley, attached to a bull, pulley. The body is hoisted up and weights were attached to the feet. In, um, in squassation and more severe, a more severe punishment, this truced body was suddenly allowed to drop several feet, then jerked up, then dropped again. The point frequently achieved was to separate all the joints in the body. Even after people had confessed, been sentenced, and were waiting to be burned, they could still be subjected to subjected to random to torture. Hands, tongues, noses, and ears were cut off, and women's breasts were torn with hot, red-hot pinchers. Girls as young as nine or ten were persuaded through such tortures to confess that they had had sexual relations with the devil. In the American colonies, where an estimated 300, where an estimated 300 people were killed as witches, some burnt, but most hung, torture was also used against young and old. In Salem, Massachusetts in 1692, two young boys were tied up from the neck and heels until blood dripped from their noses. They, then they confessed, accusing their mother who was hung. Some of these activities took place in dungeons to the private titillation of torturers, judges, and priests. Other tortures occurred in public with much pious uh, fulmination, uh, supposedly to edify, terrify, and entertain the general population. And of course, the design, the design, manufacture, and sale of torture devices was big business, especially in Germany, but also in France and Spain, where the Inquisition was at its worst and its longest. All this hideous activity we must remember took place in the name of Christ and by the will of God and was said to be aimed solely at the discipline and salvation of the human soul. Exodus 22:18 injunction. Let's see. Exodus 22:18 uh, injunction. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, which was frequently quoted, though in the 1584 in 1584 an Englishman, Reginald Scott, pointed out that the Hebrew word for poisoner had been mistranslated to witch. But pagan witches 
as specialists in herbal medicine and hallucinogens were easy to slander as poisoners in the Old Testament Hebrew, as well as medieval European times. The words could have been used interchangeably. There are numerous biblical texts expressing Yahweh's hatred and condemnation of all people who could be generically defined as witches, diviners, pythons, conjurers, fortune tellers. We know that all Neolithic goddess worshiping peoples were identified by the Hebrew prophets and patriarchs as evil, idolatrous, and unclean, and Yahweh wanted them all dead. Christianity's remarkably ugly record of religious intolerance begins in the Old Testament, where Yahweh's people are directed by him to murder anyone practicing a rival religion. The 500 years of European Inquisition and and witch burnings had their direct inspiration and sanctification from the Holy Bible, and there is no way to avoid this conclusion. The secular motives and the secular gains of the witch hunts can be credited to the imperialism of the Roman Catholic Church, to the equally power-hungry fanaticism of the Protestant reformists, and to all the other European men who obtained advantage or sick thrills from the torture and destruction of the human body in general and women's bodies in particular. The Christian church used the Bible's divine mandate for religious murder, not only to survive the political turmoil of the Middle Ages, but to expand and secure one of the largest and most powerful secular institutions on earth, Western Christendom. We have been persuaded to believe by Christian apologists that the church only meant to execute the bad witches, people who cursed and poisoned their fellow beings. This is an outright lie. The Christian church during the Inquisition did not make this, uh, did make distinction between the good witch and bad witch, and it ordered the both, that both kinds be destroyed. Theologians of the day wrote that the good witch was a more horrible and detestable monster than the wicked one. The church claimed that the good witches were even more harmful to its authority than the maleficent ones. Civil law did not call for punishment of the white witch or unbinding witch as the helpful witches were called, but ecclesiastical law did. Why? Because the good witch more effectively persuaded her neighbors of the genuine power of her religion. She successfully undermined God's will that humans should suffer. Her cures worked. Come on. For a thousand years, the people had one healer and one healer only, the sorceress. Emperors and kings and popes and the richest barons had sundry doctors of Salerno or Moorish and Jewish physicians. But the main body of every state, the whole world, we may say, consulted no one but the saga, the wise woman. The priest realizes clearly where the danger lies, that an enemy, a menacing rival is to be feared in this high priestess of nature he pretends to despise. And the Dominican Springer, he of the hammer wrote, quote, we should speak of the heresy of the sorceresses, not of the sorcerers, not of the sorcerers. The latter are of small account. Make 
uh, nature makes them sorceresses, end quote. A French writer under Louis the, uh, under Louis the 13th wrote, quote, for one sorcerer, 10,000 sorceresses, end quote. The sorceress, the town witch, was also and always the people's healer, the midwife, the skilled pharmacologist. The people needed her. Women especially needed her. Christian authorities admitted that the good witch's help to the country people was of ancient tradition and good effect, but this was the cause for burning them. The, the, the white witch's power to cure sick, sickness proved that she had a pact with the devil. The priests could not cure. They had only punitive dogmas, abstract words, empty gestures typical of rootless ritual. Huh? Mm-mm. Listen. The white witch could cure, which was evidence of her being in league with the devil. The priest could not cure anything. They had only punitive dogmas, abstract words, empty gestures, typical of rootless ritual. If the good witch could cure, clearly she possessed, possessed superior knowledge and power, a possibility the church could not allow. Instead, it officially sourced her power in evil. Quote, the white and black witch were both guilty alike in compounding with the devil, in quote. Thus, with one stroke, the priestly hierarchies eliminated both their rivals for public influence and the living evidence that their own religion was a fraud. Ha! Ah. Come on. As the witch hammer spelled it out, any unexplained power or phenomena was suspicious, sourced in evil. And 15th century Europe was a hotbed of unexplained phenomena. There were rationalist extent, who, um, extent, rational extent, who scoffed at the notion of witchery, arguing that strange occurrences could be the result of a simple manipulation of, of, of hidden but natural powers, not necessarily demonic ones. But all power, however human or natural, threatened the total authority of the church fathers and the real powers of witches, powers of nature and human psyche, knowledge, customs and techniques going back for a millennia were the greatest threat of all. For these were precisely the traditions the patriarchy had broken with. The Malleus Maleficarum called for the destruction of the ancient and secret knowledge of poisons and herbs and drugs, healing and hurtful, a tradition of lore which had been handed down from the remotest of times, healing and hurtful. It was not the witch's wickedness, but the but her effectiveness that the church wanted to destroy. Come, come on and act like you hear what the hell I'm saying. God, damn. Come on, y'all. Y'all better act like this scripture I'm giving to you right now. You feel me? Let me fix my life right quick. Um, yeah, it was their effectiveness that they wanted to destroy. In patriarchal religion, only God has power. Come on, y'all. Power does not exist in nature. It is not, and it is not something he shares with his creatures. Dreams, 
faith, and energy must be strictly directed and controlled by his church, his police force on earth. Oh, my God. And no one, uh, no one may fly through the night with the moon or envision other worlds or commune with the earth and the stars or cure illness with herbs without being seen as an agent of the devil. The monks Kramer and Springer prove that any form of knowledge, which is not a direct revelation of God, the father is of the devil and only priests had direct revelation of God. An ordinary mortal claiming such experience was clearly possessed by Satan. The people, the people's ancient knowledge was of its very nature, suspect and sinful. The miracles performed by Christian saints were given them by the grace of God, not by the power of nature. In Christianity, nature has neither grace nor power. If it appears to exhibit either, the appearance must be devilish. The saints' miracles, oh my God, the saints' miracles were evidence only of anti-natural power belonging to those who deny nature and give themselves to the Father. This kind of power exhibited by the saint who stood before a crowd of presents, uh, peasants and slowly, one by one, plucked all the feathers out of the body of the wild bird. He then handed around the bloody, tortured mass as evidence that nature could not save her creatures. Once God had willed their destruction at the hands of a holy man, since, quote, since we are born of God, what wonder then that one, that the sons of God enjoy extraordinary powers? End quote. The daughters of the goddess, on the other hand, were burned alive by the millions for exhibiting and using their own extraordinary powers. And when she and when we see that witch knowledge was identical with agricultural knowledge, come on. When we see that witch knowledge was identical with agricultural knowledge, with earth, moon, star lore, then it is no wonder that the peasants' rebellions were tied in with the witch hunts. Neither shall, this is a quote, neither shall we in, uh, use enchantment nor observe times, Leviticus 19.26, quote, Idolatry is the first of all superstitions. Divination is the second. And the observing of times and seasons, the third. This is from the Malleus Maleficarum, part one, question two. Um, quote, seemingly demons are readier to appear when summoned by magicians under the influence of certain stars. They do this in order to deceive men, thus making them suppose that the stars have some divine, oh, some divine power or actual divinity. And we know that in days of old, this veneration of star of the stars led to the vilest of idolatries from the Malleus Malefericum, part one, question two, quote, there are three superstitions, necromancy, geomancy, and hydromancy. Malefericus, uh, Malleus Malefericum, part one, question two, end quote. Three superstitions, the study of death, earth, and water, plus the study of the stars. 
St. Augustine opposed cyclic theories of the moon and Christian men could proclaim as they did, quote, sun and moon were made for us. How am I to worship what are my, um, what are my servitors, end quote. Christianity was the abstract ideology of an urban-centered, core hierarchic priesthood. Its organization was obsessed with political power only. It knew nothing about the land, the seasons, the crops, natural energies. If the peasants listened to the church, nothing would grow. These brilliant monks who wrote so contemptuously about superstition let us remember also believed that the earth was flat and at the time and at the center of the universe and that the mother of the universe was a man come on y'all <laughs> that the mother of the universe was a man who created the first female from adam's rib according to cosmos a sixth century christian geographer jerusalem was at the center of the flat earth which had been created about 4,000 BC by a Hebrew thunder God. To doubt such Christian superstitions during the Inquis during Inquisition days meant heresy and could lead to one being burnt at the stake. We will never know what harm was done to the human psyche by these rabid terrorists. The Christianity that Christianity destroyed books, libraries, whole cultures, and their records monuments of ancient knowledge and wonderful art that it set the intellectual development of the human race back hundreds of thousands of years we already know we can only begin to guess what it did to the natural poetic psyche of human beings the dream process itself ecstasy divination foretelling entran entrancement the use of magic herbs drugs and shamanic yogic techniques powers essential to the evolutionary health and balance of the human psyche were forbidden, punished, and driven into a guilt-ridden underground by Christian dogma. The witch hammer reinforced the Old Testament injunction that all dreamers must be stoned to death. Quote, a man or a woman in whom there is a pythonical or divining spirit or that is a wizard let them die. They shall all be stoned. Leviticus 20, 27. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams and that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Deuteronomy 13, 3 and 5. The Malleus Malphericum um, proclaims, quote, those women are called pythons in whom the devil works extraordinary things. It is unlawful for any man to practice divination, and if he does so, his reward shall be death by the sword of the executioner, end quote. The, mal the malleus and the church denounced witchcraft as a spiritual crime. It blasphemed and profaned the creator. Perhaps more crucial, this psych uh, the psychic powers tapped and activated by witches were defined as political crimes, quote, witchcraft is high treason against God's majesty, end quote. Because the state acted as police, prosecutor, judge, and executioner for the church's definition of such crime, high treason against God surely constituted a threat to the temporal power as well. Thought police 
and dream police are not 20th, 20th century um, atheistic inventions. They are our inheritance from the European Inquisition, which in the joint name of God and the king initiated the most extreme active manipulation and politicized politicization of human mental processes ever known to humans. According to Christianity, human beings may have only one dream, the dream of redemption through Christ from the sin of being born. Oh my God. Oh my God. Y'all have not heard what the hell I'm talking about. Y'all do not understand. Y'all ain't hearing me because y'all ain't talking to me. Listen. I'm I'm not going to preach today. I'm not. I'm just going to read. Listen, according to Christianity, human beings may only have one dream, the dream of redemption through Christ from the sin of being born. The entire ancient relation between the cosmos and the human mind mediated by the dream process was thus interfered with and distorted by patriarchal dogma. The witches were accused of riding through the night with the with Diana, of practicing divination, of studying the stars and observing seasons, of having knowledge of plants for medicinal and visionary purposes. In other words, they were accused of dreaming dreams and using their own minds. They were accused and found guilty of communing with the powers of the universe and for knowing themselves to be one with that universe. Come on. This is today. I don't know if y'all are experiencing it the same way I am. This is today. This is today. Such knowledge, such communion is a major crime in any in any society where a biophobic father rules. To this day, we in the enlightened West are surrounded by laws forbidding us of natural drugs like peyote and mushrooms for pathonic purposes. North American Indians, like pagan people around the world, were punished by their conquerors for practicing peyote rituals and shamanism. As substitutes, they were handed the white man's poisons, Christianity, and alcohol. Alcohol and drugs became an addic- became addictions only in cultures where ritual drug use is forbidden. Oof. Christian missionaries fight peyote and mushroom use for political reasons. They want to be in total control. They want to be, let's see. They want to be in total control of of the human visionary experience. They want to control the contents and directions of our very dreams. And where missionaries fade away, modern, modern psychotherapists come on strong. Established mental health doctrine views all powerful messages and visions from the subconscious, the self, as undesirable symptoms of mental disturbance. Too many of our modern visionaries have been inquisitioned by straitjackets, the normalizing drugs, electroshock therapy, and lobotomies. From the torturer of the Inquisition, breaking bodies on the rack in the name of saving souls, to the modern uh, psychiatrist administering electroshock therapy or sonic lobotomies for the purpose of adjusting the mind, there is little difference. Both are cremators of the soul, the soul that dreams, 
both in the name of cure, are employed by a society that needs to adjust human beings to la vida sensuenos. The witch burnings didn't take place during the dark ages, as we commonly propose, or, or as we commonly suppose. Y'all, that last paragraph was vicious. Goddamn. Oh my God. The witch burnings didn't take place during the dark ages as we sometimes suppose. They occurred between the 15th and 18th centuries, precisely during and following the Renaissance, that glorious period in Europe when, as we are taught, men's minds were being freed from bleakness and superstition. While Michelangelo was sculpting and Shakespeare was writing, witches were burning. Ha. Mm. The whole secular enlightenment, in fact, the male professions of doctor, lawyer, judge, artist, all arose from the ashes of the destroyed bodies of women's cultures. Renaissance men were celebrating naked female beauty in their art while women's bodies were being tortured and burned by the hundreds of thousands all around them. New communication technology also contributed to witch hunts. The printing press was established in 1450. The first major work printed was the Bible. Martin Luther was born in 1483. We know that the Protestant Reformation of the early 16th century was fueled in large part by the existence of the new mass printing technology. The Latin Bible used by the Catholic Church was an elitist handbook. Few possessed it. Fewer could read it. The reformist argued for the translation of the Bible into German, into all the European vernaculars, so that the people could read the word of God for themselves. This religious revolution, oh my God, this religious revolution was made possible by the new print technology. As the 16th century uh, heated up, as we've said, witches were everywhere caught in the crossfire between the Catholic Church and the Protestant reformists. But there was another turn of the screw. In the 16th century, for the first time, people were able to read the Bible's misogyny in their own languages. Before, they'd received only the Latin passages and the interpretations of priests. But now the full word of God was spread before their eyes and Yahweh's wrathful condemnation of female flesh as the unclean playing field of the devil was quite clear. Because of their fundamentalist literalism in the following of the Holy Writ, the misogyny of the reformists was often more extreme, if possible, than that of the Catholics. Further, the new popular press throve on the witch hunts, etched plates depicting pornographic scenes of witches romping with satanic figures and graphic etchings and woodcuts showing varieties of tortures, drownings and burnings of women were printed in large numbers and broadcast through every town, large and small. Some feminists might feel these popular press images were the stuff, uh, were the snuff films and the penthouse magazines of their day. They purported to be on-the-spot depictions of tortures and burnings with naked and half-naked female bodies screaming and writhing in endless postures of agony, surrounded by well-dressed male judges, 
religious accusers, uh, prickers, and other righteous gentlemen of the time. It is no, there is no doubt that these mass printed images fueled a mass paranoia against women, against witches. They also marked the beginnings in the West of pornography as popular entertainment. It is historically chilling to consider that, uh, to consider that the new print medium uh, before it ever served as a tool of mass education or enlightenment was used as a firebrand to ignite mass hysteria and murder. But this was the case. The new technology of the radio reserved the rising terroristic shape. Oh my God. Come on, man. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh. Oh my God. Mm-mm. It is historically chilling to consider that the new print medium, before it ever served as a tool of mass education or enlightenment, was used, began as a firebrand to ignite the mass hysteria and murder, to ignite mass hysteria and murder. But this was the case. The new technology of the radio served the rising terrorist dictatorship of Adolf Hitler in the same way. And the use, oh my God, the use of the television medium by demagogic hell-raising preachers and politicians, especially in America, might give us frisson of forewarning. Jerry Mander, an analyst of modern electronic communications media, points out that certain media favor certain fundamentalist types of God and religious worldviews. Religion with charismatic leaders, single all-powerful God, or individual God-like figures are simpler to handle on television because they have highly defined characteristics. Nature-based religions are dependent upon a gestalt of human feeling and perceptual, uh, perceptual exchanges with the planet and would lose their meaning on TV. Okay, so I'm flipping right now because she's saying that at least in the Western world, the use, the emergence of the printing press in human history, its first use was the propagation to elicit the support of the massacre of women as witches. That was its starting use in Europe. And I am reminded when she talks about the radio use of the uh, rising terroristic uh, dictatorship of Adolf Hitler, Adolf Hitler was the first to broadcast, to do a live like broadcast when the, um, the Olympics was held in Germany at the time. It was the first time that they had been live broadcast. Germany did that with, uh, with radio and television. Fast forward. Uh, and, and even backtrack, the first use 
of uh, the first film ever produced and showed nationally was Birth of a Nation about the rise of the Ku Klux Klan as a propaganda instrument to grow the Klan produced by Hollywood. My God. Okay, so anyway, devil projection and witch hunting are functional parts of patriarchy. They are essential tools of mass control via mass in mass energy diversion. Listen, devil projection and witch hunting are functional parts of patriarchy. They are essential tools of mass control via mass energy diversion. If life is born of evil, as Christians believe, then devil paranoia is chronic to Christian life. If we look at Western Christian history through our pagan evolutionary glasses, we can see that demon projection and witch hunting has never really stopped. They are endemic in Western politics, to Western politics. One reason the Inquisition and witch hunting's uh, witch burnings died down in Europe was that Christian European kings, governments, and religious men, religious men, religious men, and male citizens had found new hunting grounds as scapegoats. Around the a round world had given a round world had given them new worlds to conquer with new heathens to convert, use, and destroy. Europe emerged from the inquisition of its own peoples via the inquisition of the dark others across the oceans, i.e. imperialist colonialism. There were black Africans to enslave, to be enslaved on their own continent or dragged in chains to the American colonies where there were also numerous indigenous tribes of pagan idolaters, the North, Central, and South American Indians all of whom could be defined as mere animals, bestial demons, and the spawn and spawns of the devil. Whatever it took to rationalize enslaving them, massacring them, ripping off and cannibalizing their lands, cultures, and life energies. Whenever we read the history of Western colonial imperialism during the 15th to 19th centuries, we should remember that the men, the political and religious institutions and worldviews conducting it were the same as those who conducted the Christian Inquisition and witch hunts for five solidly sadistic centuries. Christian men in the name of Christ enlarging their properties, their powers, and their pieties in the same bite. Witch hunting and devil projecting is more or less subtle forms um, in more or less subtle forms are classic patriarchal tools. They can be picked up and used anytime, anywhere to build the house of God, that exclusive clubhouse of ambitious men. All right, so I'm going to stop there for today. Yo. So for those who may have tuned in late, uh, Listen, there's this so there's so much. There's so much to unpack here. And so I'm trying to very very hard to be um disciplined about not giving commentary while I read. I really want to just read this book straight through. Then what we're going to do, I hope to be done by this with this book by the end of June. I should be. I'm more than halfway through. Um going to initiate the book club. Um, in July so that we can 
if you want to go back to the reading while we go through the chapters in a kind of Q&A style, right, to really go deep into this book. But um, and so for those that are tuning in late or, or came in late, this is The Great Cosmic Mother, Rediscovering the Religion of the Earth, written by Monica Zhu and Barbara Moore. The book was published in 1987, and um, it's everything. Like, it is everything to me. Have me tell it. It is the evidence of channeling. It is a sign of the times the evolutionary leaps that we, our spirits, our ancient memory is attempting to make through the uh, enslaved, um, our enslaved flesh. You understand? And so um, I'm going to continue to read this book. Um, I'm going to, um, again, be, you know, facilitating finally opening up the, um, the book club. I probably won't facilitate through Facebook. I'll be honest right now. I have everything posted on Facebook is where I make all the posts on all that stuff, but I will probably have something a lot more dynamic by July, uh, a place, a location online to facilitate, even if it's through zoom, but to facilitate the book club, because we got to get in this book. We got to get in this book. For those of you who are people of color, <clears throat> In particular, baby, we have to get into these hard conversations about, about white people. These kind of conversations that those among us, I'm talking about color folk, red, black, green, I mean, red, black, brown, yellow. These conversations that we refuse to have. <laughs> these conversations that are difficult to have about about the future what the future can look like what it has to be and the role that we and white people must play to create this future it is a conversation that we do not want to have because you know we love our nationalism you understand we love the things that make us us that are peculiar to us or so we think I get it. I've been there a long, long time. It's some shit I'm still trying to make peace with. You feel me? Um, but I am saying, baby, this book, y'all need to have me tell it the book is possessed. Okay. The book is possessed with the spirit of millions and millions and millions of ancestors attempting to communicate to us that everything that we need all the information that we need, all the lived experiences that we sh we have needed to have to transform, to leap forward. We have it all, every, every detail, every instrument, every form of technology, every ability to communicate across borders we couldn't communicate across before. Every lived experience of every person on earth living or transitioned. We don't have any excuse, ma'am. We just don't. 
all we can do is do what the fuck we're supposed to do to change the world. That's it. And I'm telling you, in my estimation, this book is one of the instruments that will be necessary to have a clear, uncluttered vision of how to do that. A simplistic, clear, uncloudy vision of the way forward. This is why I am reading this book again for the fourth time, for the second time live. It is because there has to be something that shines through the proliferation of madness that we are surrounded by. So much noise. Two years of pandemic and nobody quote, in power, has anything to say about it. No collective recovery initiated by this caring, this caring government who really is interested in our lives and shit. No, even just a summation. Can we just sit down and have a deep summation of what the fuck just happened to the whole world for the last two years? Can we come together and say, what is the recovery process for the millions of people who died globally over the last two years? Is there a collective ceremony that we can do to restore people, to restore people? I just, I just think about everything that has just happened to us and there ain't been no, there ain't been no breaks in the trauma. These motherfuckers are capitalizing off the trauma. They are. <clears throat> These orchestrations of madness that we are confronted by, what, seven mass shootings in the last month? And we are so victimized, man, from the last two years. It's like, damn, we can't even catch a break. We just came out the motherfucking house and now everybody but wilding and ain't nobody got an explanation for what is happening in the world. None that gives them peace. None that makes sense of this madness, right? So I don't know. I just feel like um, this book, in my estimation, is the starting point. It's it's a good place to start, right? Um, the traditions of our ancestors is a good place to start in understanding a deep a deep understanding. We got to get into the sciences of our ancestors, baby. We have to understand our place in the universe. The earth is not apart from heaven. The, the earth is in heaven, floating the fuck in heaven. We are a part of the universe. And we have to get comfortable understanding our place in the heavens, our role in the universe and how the universe impacts us just like we impact it. We do. I'll tell you the science I'm telling you right now. You understand? We have to maybe because um, it's these hidden sciences that have been reduced to ooga booga and witchery that have kept those in power over us. It is that which they have kept from us that has given them the hegemony over us. So we got to get into this shit. And it, and the more uncomfortable, the better. The more unfamiliar, the better. I'm just saying. 
So I'm gonna stop there. Probably just do another video because you know this shit is on me. This shit is on me. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so this is Cassandra. That's all I'm gonna that's how I'm gonna announce myself from here on out. I am Cassandra, Cassandra Faith Floyd, born of Jacqueline and Jeanette Cook by birth, and Stephen Ray Floyd. Okay? My name means she who shines light on mankind. She has the energy of the Fae. She is the descendant of the three fates. And she, my last name, Floyd, who is the gray-haired or wise beyond her years. This is my name, right? And um, this is how I am going to be. This is going to be how I'm addressed, you know, from here on out is Cassandra. Um, and so it's important for me to say that. So anyway, we got to get in this shit. Because y'all think shit is uncomfortable right now. We ain't but two, let's see. We ain't but three months in. Three months in to the Pluto returns. Pluto does not posi- does not transition out of um out of uh Capricorn till November of 2024. We got two years of this shit. And so what are we gonna make of it? Are we going to come on, what are we gonna make of it? I'm in there. I'm probably just gonna do something a little different a little later. Right now I'm gonna go sit under a tree somewhere and finish my hair. So this is Cassandra. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I will probably do another live again tonight. That is not me reading the book. Um, it will be just some, you know, revelations that have come to me over the last week since we had this um, magnanimous uh, new moon on Sunday that has been kicking my whole ass. And I'm sure even if you ain't into astrology, everybody been feeling it. Everybody been complaining about it. You understand? And so um, I have had some extraordinary and um, powerful revelations over the last week. So I'll probably do a live tonight and just share that with you all. And then I'm probably going to go, I'm probably going to go black for a few days. You feel me? So if I do, just know I'll be back on Monday to continue the wonderful, magnanimous, prophetic writings of Monica Zhu and Barbara Moore in the great work, The Great Cosmic Mother rediscovering the religion of the earth go to my youtube channel which is iapo ingina i-y-a-p-o-n-g-i-n-a that will be changing soon by the way but for the meantime it's iapo ingina go to my youtube channel and you can see all of the chapters that i've read so far also in the link in the descriptions you can also get a um you can click on the link that sends you to a pdf uh, version of the book so you can actually read the book online print it whatever uh, but the book is online for free as a pdf you can contact me my email address is there if you'd like to donate but please share the video like the video um tap the notifications but- button but more than anything share the video the book is gold the book is gold okay so thank you so much see you again probably later this evening. Peace. Greetings, family. This is Cassandra. Um, So thank you for tuning in. If you are tuning in, uh, it is Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So 
I am again attempting to be a lot more disciplined about when I get on to read. So for those who have never tuned in, um, this book, The Great Cosmic Mother, Rediscovering the Religion of the Earth by Monica Zhu and Barbara Moore, is what I've been reading <clears throat> live online since February. And um, we are more than halfway through the book. We're on chapter 45. I, the last time I read was Friday. And we were halfway through chapter 45. So I'm going to pick up with the reading of chapter 45 today, which is called The Witch Hunt. So up until this point, this book, if you can tell, right, is very well tabbed, right? And <clears throat> very well written in. And the reason why is because the book is the game changer. You understand? Um I am enlisting the help of, um, here in the next couple of weeks, enlisting the help of some young people to, you know, kind of, um, <laughs> like, um, modernize my, uh, my setup, my online setup. Uh, because for me, like, I'm the teacher, right? And so I am not, interested i'm not going to that's what the deal is i'm not going to learn all new skills to you know um you know to modernize my you know my 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 social media like visuals if you will i spent a lot of time last week trying to figure out you know basic stuff like how to create reels but i have so much in my head and i do so much studying outside of this process, that that is something that I will, you know, hire and enlist young people to do for me. So with that being said, all I'm doing is teaching. All I'm doing is reading. The other disclaimer is, is this book in general, this chapter in particular is extremely uh, triggering. It is extremely graphic. Um, and the nature of this book is one that is challenging in a lot of ways. Um, and so I, I have to be better about, you know, telling people if they decide to listen to the read to, you know, be objective and also be open to being uncomfortable because see the discomfort is where epiphany is, right? We've grown comfortable with our oppression. Hence there is no epiphany in that it is in the chaos where we find epiphany you see and so this book is the chaos it is the challenge like this book this is my fourth time reading the book has challenged me in so many ways it is responsible for so many evolutionary leaps forward in my own understanding and my own under and my own development um but that shit came in the form of gut punches and smacks across the head and shit. So that is what I'm telling you. Um, I am reading. I'm not teaching yet. Um, I will be teaching a workshop on this book in July, but right now we're just getting through the reading um, so that once we start doing the workshop, people can just go back to that. If you are tuning in on YouTube, then you can go into the descriptions and see that there is a link to the PDF version of the book that you can read for free if you would like to read along and take notes. Um, 
The book is uh, really inexpensive, so I encourage you to buy it. Um, but anyway, with that being said, I want to go ahead and start um, the reading for today. So as the um, title description for those that are tuning in via YouTube, uh, we are completing the chapter entitled The Witch Hunts. Devil projection and witch hunting are functional parts of patriarchy. They are essential tools of mass control via mass energy diversion. If life is born out of evil, as Christians believe, then devil paranoia is chronic to Christian life. If we look at Western Christian history through our pagan evolutionary glasses, we can see that demon projection and witch hunting has never really stopped. They are endemic to Western politics. One reason the Inquisition and witch burnings died down in Europe was that Christian European kings, governments, religious men, and male citizens had found new hunting grounds, new scapegoats. Around world had given them new worlds to conquer with new heathens to convert, use, and destroy. Europe emerged from the inquisition of its own peoples via the inquisition of the dark others across oceans, i.e. imperialist colonialism. There were black Africans to enslave on their own continent or dragged in chains to the American colonies, where there were also numerous indigenous tribes of, quote, pagan idolaters, the North, Central and South American Indians, all of whom could be defined as mere animals, bestial demons and spawns of the devil. Whatever it took to rationalize enslaving them, massacring them, ripping off and cannibalizing their lands, cultures, and life energies. Whenever we read the history of Western colonial imperialism during the 15th to 19th centuries, we should remember that the men, the political and religious institutions and worldviews conducting it were the same as those who had conducted the Christian Inquisition and witch hunts for five solidly sadistic centuries. Christian men, in the name of Christ, enlarging their properties, their powers, and their pieties in the, in the same bite. Witch hunting and devil projecting is, in more or less subtle forms, are classic patriarchal tools. They can be picked up and used anytime anywhere to build the house of God, that exclusive clubhouse of ambitious men. In the past decade in America and throughout the world, there has been a resurgence of fundamentalist religious activity, or at least increased focus on it in the media. Fundamentalism in any Western religion, Christian, Judaic, Muslim, means a strict literalist interpretation of and obedience to the words of some ancient texts considered divinely inspired, coupled with a zealous desire to make the world correspond to these texts, i.e. God's word, God's law. In, in a mid-70s poll taken by one of the popular presses, 50% of the Americans interviewed agreed with the statement that all, all the world's troubles are caused by the devil. And in 1980, Americans installed a president who, in public statements, seems to be stating his belief that half the world, the other half, is composed of beings 
intentionally will evil. With this upsurge of fundamentalist ontology has come increased media reports of satanic cults and sensationalized television dramas of such cults ha, and ritual uh, and related ritual killings in America. Undoubtedly, there are undoubtedly there are satanic cults in the United States composed of both silly and dangerous people. But it must be pointed out that there is no historic record of mass killings by Satanists anywhere. Uh-oh. At any time. Uh-oh. The world record for mass killings is held by Christians. Hundreds of millions of human beings in the past 2,000 years have been tortured and slaughtered in, the infinite num- in an infinite number of hideous ways in the name of Christ and by people who believed or who said they believed that they were ex- uh, exterminating agents of the devil, Satan worshipers, dangerous idolaters. We have just talked about the first Holocaust, 300 years of witch burnings in Europe. In the second Holocaust of World War II, 5 million to 6 million Jews were exterminated, along with millions of other unclean subhumans, communists, feminists, gypsies, homosexuals, the physically and mentally handicapped in in Germany, Austria, and France. Although about 45 million people died in that war, including 22 million Russians and all the Japanese citizens who perished in the nuclear holocausts of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. World War II had several causes and secular triggers, but essentially it was one of the more, it was one more religious war. Come on now. It was one more religious war. Adolf Hitler, let's see, was born and bred a German Catholic. In 1941, he stated, he stated to one of his generals, uh, Gerhard Engel, quote, I am now as before a Catholic and always will remain so. Oh, <laughs> in quote. In my camp, in my uh, camp, Hitler repeatedly states his conviction that he is working for God and Christ. Therefore, this is a quote. Therefore, I am convinced that I am acting as the great agent of our creator. By fighting off Jews, I am doing the Lord's work, end quote. At a Nazi Christmas celebration in 1926, Hitler proclaimed, quote, Christ was the greatest early fighter in the battle against the world enemy, the Jews, the women, or any wolves went out volunteer. He opposed never been in cults or the world has been in danger and ravaged in historic times to get large numbers of people to agree with in part holy war is devil projection. Come on. Is devil projection. The targeting of specific groups, heretics, uh, witches, Jews, communists, feminists, homosexuals, subversives, as demonic, satanic agents, and the inflammatory insistent, insistence that God wills the exorcism or extermination of these devils by his chosen, quote, self-appointed holy men. 
years or centuries of uh, conflagration follow the historic damage in the West. The historic damage in the West being done not by devil worshipers, but by Christians ruled by their fear and hatred of the devil. We do not know how many people have died recently in America at the hands of satanic cults. In the past decade, there have been dozens of killings by Christians of other human beings believed to be, quote, possessed by the devil. Tragically, with few exceptions, the victims have all been little children, tortured and killed by their parents, relatives, or babysitters because these pitiful, Bible-obsessed adults believed the children had the devil in them. Doubtless, the mid-70s, the mid-1970s success of the film The Exorcist and The Omen, um, in which the devil always sensationally picks children to inhabit, is related to this sad phenomenon. In 1976, a Christian fundamentalist sect was involved in the beating death of a three-year-old boy whose parents were members of the sect. They were beating the devil out of the boy. In Philadelphia in 1979, a three-month-old baby was thrown out of a second-story window by its aunt because she said, the Lord told me to. In New York in 1980, so the reason these dates for those who are just tuning in is because this book was written in 1987, okay? So... That's why the dates are so old. Um, in, let's see. Um, in Philadelphia, let's see. In New York in 1980, a 21-month-old in, uh, boy was exercised by his mother while three brothers watched. The infant was scalded in boiling water and then seared to death in an oven. The mother explained to the police that she had to get the devil out of her baby. In 1983, a two and a half year old Californian girl was held down by her father on a hot floor heater until the devil left her, she said. In 1984, in Bangor, Maine, a man killed his girlfriend's four year old daughter by burning her in an electric oven. He claimed the child was Lucifer and he was performing an exorcism on her. In Austin, Texas, in 1980, a 21 year old male was sleeping with his head against his truck window one night when his best friend drove up, saw his head and blew his brains out with a deer rifle. The man with the gun had just been discussing Satan with his female companion. And he told police he had seen the devil in his sleeping friend's head in Hampton, Virginia in 1979, a mother cut off her own hand, the right hand of her five cut off her own hand the right hand of her five-year-old daughter and the left hand of her seven-month-old daughter because she had been reading the Bible thinking about John the Baptist getting beheaded. In a small Wisconsin town in February of 1985, a man calling himself Elijah shot and killed a priest and two church parishioners. He claimed he was following God's will and punishing these men for allowing a girl to read, for allowing a girl to read scriptures during mass. In American, in American Fork, Utah, in the winter of 1984, two brothers named Ron and Dan Lafferty entered by force the home of their sister-in-law, Brenda, the wife of a younger brother, Alan Lafferty. The two brothers were founders of the School of Prophets, a breakaway fundamentalist Mormon sect. A few years earlier, they had been excommunicated by the Mormon church for their behavior and beliefs, which included a return to polygamy as, the, as a holy duty. The School of Prophets, citing Bible texts as support, claimed that, their, that wives were property given to men by God. 
admit to obey without question all instructions from their husbands. A woman who resisted her husband's wishes in any manner was a fornicator, and her children were, in the eyes of God and the Utah prophets, children of fornication. Brenda Lafferty had supported the wives of these two brothers in divorce suits following the men's return to holy polygamy. Ron and Dan Lafferty had also received a revelation that called for six mighty ones to battle for the Lord against Lucifer. The school of prophets was born in this revelation, composed of five Lafferty brothers. But the sixth, but the sixth, Alan, was discouraged by his wife from having anything to do with the self-appointed prophets. She believed they were Satanists. When Lafferty brothers forced their way into Brenda's home while her husband was at work, they were acting according to another revelation. God had told them it was his will that these people be removed. Witnesses heard the men calling Brenda a bitch, a slut, and a liar. She fought back, kicked, and screamed, and begged them not to harm her child who was in the crib. The two men stifled her with a pillow and tied a cord around her neck so that so that one brother could slit her throat. They the, uh, Then they held her head back to let the blood pour from her body as a proper biblical sacrifice. The murder knife was then handed to Dan Dafferty, who went to the crib where the 15-month-old baby girl Erica was crying, mommy, mommy. Dan Lafferty slit the baby's throat, telling telling people later, it wasn't, it wasn't no problem. I felt the spirit. It was with me, end quote. During his trial, Dan Lafferty acted as his own lawyer, admitted the killings freely, and defended himself entirely on the basis that the murders had been commanded by God. Quote, the state has failed to prove that a crime has been committed, end quote, he told his jury. Quote, it could, uh, it could very well be fulfillment of revelation uh, of the revelation of God, not a crime, end quote. Lafferty further testified, quote, consistent with the scripture, we are told that there are going to be some frightful circumstances when the Lord's kingdom is built up and the advert and the adversary's kingdom must be torn down. We are told that this will be a dreadful day. The proud will be destroyed and their children will be dashed before their eyes and there will be no pity for the infant or the suckling. I, do, I don't intend to make excuses over things I have no control of. I'm not really sorry. I'm not in a position. I'm not in the position. I am, but I'm not in the position I am because I chose to be. We are involved in a day when the Lord has strange work to do, end quote. A Utah jury sentenced Dan Lafferty and his brother Ron to life imprisonment, but they were not able to refute the Lafferty's assertions that the Holy Bible supported their deeds. These are just a few news stories emerging from the past decade in America. All the murders and mutilations described were performed by people who saw themselves as holy men and handmaidens of the, of the biblical God and the, and the Christ and of Christ the Lord. They were all doing God's will, smiting devils, smiting whores and fornicators and the children of fornicators. The full history of such holy murders in the West under Christianity and the influence of the biblical Old Testament would be much longer than this account and even more nauseating. The devil is the curse of those who have abandoned the goddess to do with witchcraft. Witchcraft, we should know by now, is the ancient European pagan religion going back to the hunting times and the uh, Paleolithic caves. Its practitioners worship a female goddess and her consort, the horned one, 
who is represented with the goat hooves and the horns of the god Pan, meaning all. The fertility spirit of nature. Pan goes back to the shamanist to the shamanic figure in the tro, uh, the Trois Frere caves, the sorcerer dancing an animal mask and skins. This figure was interpreted by Christians as the devil, amalgamated with their concepts of the evil principle. But Pan represented life and life energy, not evil. The witches never worshipped evil, which is a Christian obsession. Which is a Christian obsession, evil. They worshipped as human beings worshipped at the beginning of time. The goddess, her nature, her fertility, her cyclic life and death cosmos. Satanism is a Christian heresy. You cannot believe in a Satan unless you believe in Christian ontology and the Bible. Come on. Satanism is of very recent origin. The first black mass conducted as a parody of the Catholic mass was performed in the late 17th century at the court of Louis the 14th. It was performed by 50 to 60 Roman Catholic priests hired by the king who conducted mass on a naked girl's belly as an uh, amatory lark to amuse the court. The satanic black mask uh, dedicated to, to Antichrist and designed to worship and invoke the principle of evil does not appear in history until the 19th century. It was basically a literary invention and an amusement of decadent aristocrats and artists. And from this comes our idea of Satanism. That is the end of chapter 45 called The Witch Hunts. So we will go on to read a little bit of chapter 46, and then I will end for the day. Chapter 46, the denial of the mother, denial of the people. Christianity offered redemption through a single being of the male sex. Christ must redeem us from being born out of a woman. His power to do so comes from the fact that he is the son of a male God at death. Christ does not return to the Mother Earth like earlier vegetation deities to renew and fructify us all. Christ is a vegetation deity who refuses to be recycled. Oh, my God. Who refuses to be recycled, baby. Oh, my God. Hold on. Let me highlight that shit real quick. Come on. We get into the, we get into the meat of all contradictions right here, Okay. He is a vegetation deity who refuses to be recycled. Okay. Instead, he ascends to heaven to sit as a judge at his father's side. In the Gospel of Thomas, following exchange, the following exchange occurs in the presence of Mary Magdalene. Uh, Simon, Peter said to them, let Mary leave us for women are not worthy of life. Okay. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male. Ah, so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you male. For every woman who will make herself male 
will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Simon was the founder of the Christian church among the Jews and the spokesman of the apostles. And lucky for him that women are women. The great, uh, the great domed cathedral of St. Peter's in Rome was built with, uh, with brothel taxes. <laughs> oh my God. Ah. Yo. It said, thank God women are women because the uh, St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome couldn't have been built without um, women popping coochie. Just saying. That's what paid to build the cathedral. Taxing women. Anyway, once and for all, Christ signified the end of rebirth through the mother. He denies his mother. He denies his mother, quote, woman, what have I to do with thee? End quote. John 2, 4. Nothing, apparently. Now men must be reborn through a male mother, Christ, and women must be reborn male to even be considered worthy of life. To be wholly honest, Christ should have said, quote, I have come to destroy the mother and go about my father's business. Come on. Go about my father's business, baby. In apocryphal text, Jesus does say, for I have come to destroy the works of the female. Okay. Oh, my God. For I have come to destroy the works of the female. Death will prevail as long as you women bear children. Such, such a nihilistic denial of the value of earthly life, coupled with the Christian church's imperialistic urge to control that life, specifically to control women's reproduction of that life, has contributed greatly to the biophobic insanity of the past 2,000 years of human existence. Come on. biophobia baby that's some real shit right now that we must get into later but it's one we must get into for the past 2,000 years of of human existence in the past 4,000 years of patriarchy there have been about 300 years of comparative peace under Christ the so-called prince of peace the western world has been continuous war with its enemies and with itself. From Christendom have come doctrines of despair and alienation, theories of master races and inferior blood, a daily reduction of life to stupid mechanisms, grotesque paranoias about the unconscious, a hatred and fear of the world and all things in it as inherently evil. Most of all, Christianity has fueled men's hatred and fear of women as being the givers of this miserable and treacherous existence. Come on. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. This is the crux of all things, people. How could our ancestors have survived and evolved through more than 500,000 years of human life on earth if they had experienced life in such a consistently ugly way? 
Human beings are bound to each other through the mother. As her children, we share a blood bond with the, with all creation. We're all made the same from her flesh, her desire, her, her dreams. Under patriarchy, this mystical blood bond is broken. Our flesh bond becomes the source of all evil. Under Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and state communism, baby, come on. State communism, the four major Western patriarchal religions, the compulsion to control or destroy the flesh of the other has been historically stronger than the state desire, than the stated desire of quote brotherhood. This perpetual success of war and failure of peace is then said to be the human condition, but it is only the condition of humans under patriarchy. Come on. Under patriarchy, there is a literal belief that all of life is created for men to use. And what patriarchal men see as usable is also seen as contemptible. We suggest that the atomic or nuclear blast is man's final identification with the sun god, the final annihilation of matter, mother. And this is the implicit goal of all patriarchal religion. If they cannot control life utterly, they will choose to destroy it. The nuclear technician is the ultimate priest of the father. Ha! Handing us his unholy mushrooms of rigid and uncreative death, a ceremonial sacrifice of mere objective numbers without grace, hope, rebirth, or magic immortality. Exclusive identification with the father is a way of denying dependence on the mother, who is always utterly Mother Earth, ultimately Mother Earth. Taking is a denial of dependence and also transforms the guilt of indebtedness into aggression. Oh, my God. Ha. Oh, my God. Y'all are not hearing Oh, 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 oh. Yo, taking is a denial of dependence on the mother and also transforms the guilt of indebtedness into aggression. The masculinity complex, the obsessive denial of femaleness is inherently nihilistic and aggressive. Because the Christian church relentlessly uses words like pious and humble and meek to describe the character of Christ. Such words have masked the actual historical aggressiveness of the church against human bodies and minds. In fact, the Eastern Orthodox Christ uh, Pantocrator was always pictured as a quite fierce and demanding uh, is quite fierce and demanding, but throughout the Christian empire, concepts of humility and meekness have been systematically used for centuries to condition submissiveness in the masses while the ruling elites quite arrogantly and aggressively grabbed the earth's treasures for themselves. As John G. Jackson writes, quote, the story of the dark ages in Europe presents a chronicle of horrors almost without a parallel in human history. And the saddest part of this story, uh, of, uh, of the story of the conversion of Europe to Christianity, 
uh, excuse me, let's see. The story of the Dark Ages in Europe presents a chronicle of horror almost without parallel in human history. And the saddest part of the of it is the story of the conversion of Europe to Christianity. He quotes Brifault by saying, quote, could the full history of the conversion of Europe to Christianity be written? It would uh, it would present a tale of horror more appalling than that of the Christianization of Spain by the Inquisition. The Christian religion has been imposed upon the people of Europe in much the same manner as it was imposed on Mexico and Peru, in the course of whose conversion, Lacasas estimates 12 million people perished, butchered, burnt alive, and tortured, end quote. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We don't want to do it, yo. We don't want to do it. Oh, my God. Mm -mm. Anyway, those who survived the butchery of Christian conversion were enslaved. As Jackson writes again, quote, the church not only perpetrated slavery, but created it where it had never existed under Roman law. Bishop uh, Ratharius of Verona in the 10th century went so far as to say, quote, God has mercifully destined those to slavery for whom he saw that freedom was not fitting. Mm, 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 end quote. The medieval and Renaissance church fathers of Europe saw the institutions of private property, of coercive government, of class systems, even of slavery, as not only inevitable on this evil earth, but desirable. They were order-imposing, elite-enforced remedies for the corruption of human nature. The scholastic minds of the church and its um, pastoric theory, pastoric theory, made a distinction between the state of nature, based on natural law and expressing God's ideal, a world more responsive to natural order, which patriarchy, of course, destroyed, and the conventional state which is the real world, the rationalized world, sanctioned by custom. Okay. According to God's apologist, this conditional state is not the original intention of God, but has come about through human sin as a result of the fall. Thus, the unnaturalness and exploitive coerciveness of the real world is blamed on human beings. Few noting that this state of things was originally established to enforce God's will over human beings. The Christian or biblical God is never blamed for worldly disorder, for worldly order or disorder. His absolute will is just used to sanction its continuance. Come on. Ha. Corrupted by original sin. Human nature supposedly demanded restraints, which could not be found in in, in an egalitarian order. These restraints are inequalities of wealth, status, and power, and the consequent right of a select few to rule over the many. Such restraints were interpreted as not only the consequences of sin, but also its remedy. Oh, my God. Also, it's remedy. You see, we are exploited, punished, 
and oppressed for our own good, so we are told by God's professional explainers. No matter how brutal, unjust, or greedy patriarchal institutions might be, they are to be understood as the whips of God on the disobedient bottoms of his mortal children. With such uh, fiendish reasoning did the church fathers build their Christian empire. Throughout the early years of Christianized Europe, the priest and the the schoolist schoolist, uh, were the only people doing such reasoning. They were the only people allowed an education. The great masses of people with their pagan Neolithic knowledge destroyed or forbidden were kept in profound ignorance. The church worked to ensure their minds were filled up only with Christian dogma, guilt and fear, and devil superstition. When we consider that the megalithic lunar and solar observatory builders of England and the Breton coast of France were circa uh, 3,500 to 2,500 BC, measuring the slight periodic uh, 0.15 degree oscillation of the moon, as well as building immense and beautiful earthworks for ritual celebration, the intellectual and cultural squalor of Europeans under the domination of the Christian church becomes truly appalling. Though not unfortunately unique, the same mental and physical impoverishment followed the church wherever it went. As George G. Ja- as John G. Jackson points out, um, Europe might still be in mental darkness were it not for the periodic injections fought tooth and nail by the church of Arabic brilliance. Europe, says Jackson, was saved from its abysmal Christian engineered dark ages, not through a Greco-Roman renaissance, but by the entrance of Moors into Spain and the influence of Moorish civilization into the Mediterranean and southern and southern Europe. He quotes Joseph Maccabee, quote, none of our modern sophistry redeems the squalor of Europe from the fifth to the 11th century. And it was again the dark-skinned men of the South who restored civilization. By the year 1000, Europe was reduced to a condition which, if we were not Europeans, we should frankly call barbarism. Yet at that time, the Arabs held a splendid civilization in Spain, Sicily, Syria, Egypt, and Persia. And it linked on to those of, and it linked on to those of India and China. We write manuals of the history of Europe or of the Middle Ages, and we confine ourselves to a small, squalid area and ignore the brilliant civilization that ran from Portugal to to the China Sea, end quote. The Christian church initially tried to fight the threat of this civilizing Arabic brilliance by launching the Holy Crusades against it. But too many crusaders returned to Europe, trailing clouds of sensual glory from the heathen lands and from the and from them created the splendidly iridescent uh, Trouvere troubadour culture of southern France. As we've seen, the Catholic Church launched the Inquisition against heretics in 1200 and 1200 by destroying by destroying these uh, these lyric Arabic influences. And for the next 500 years, the Inquisition and the witch hunts were Christian imperial machines designed to capture every possible bit of exotic or pagan intelligence in trials and torture chambers and burn it all down to gray ash, i.e. the church maintained control. Oh my God. 
the church maintained control of Europe via a thousand years of institutionalized propaganda and terror in which the mind of Europe was kept in darkness while all outside light was forbidden to shine in. Mm. Come on. Almost all Christian charity has been motivated by spiritual self-interest. Y'all ain't heard. Almost all Christian charity has been motivated by spiritual self-interest, baby. The church could piously recommend that well-off individuals help the poor. Not for the sake of the poor, who after all deserved their poverty, but to help good Christians make points in heaven. (laughs) Overall, the church has maintained that the order of society is as it should be. The power of God has been used throughout Christian history to uphold the secular status quo. This is the cruelly reactionary role played by the great imperialist church. It promised the people it it would and deceive them. And when the people suffer, the it on their sin. Christianity's labor record is equally atrocious. It saw hard, unrelieved labor and class inequity as fitting punishments for human sin and necessary disciplines for innate human rebelliousness. So the church always historically and ideologically aligned itself with the boss against the workers. Come on, y'all, socialists who are so dogmatically detached from understanding the spiritual implications of history in political life, come on. As Foucault writes, the 30 years war in Europe caused great social upheaval and economic depression. There were three large uprisings in France between 1621 and 1639. Central to these uprisings were labor protests, new new economic structures, the centralizing of capital in urban centers and development of larger and larger manufactories, where breaking the power of the medieval, were breaking the power of the medieval craft skills and assaulting workers' rights. The French general regulations were government orders prohibiting all assemblies, leagues, or associations of workers. When some French parliaments, such as that of Normandy, were reluctant or refused to prosecute guild members for political protest, the church, in its characteristic way, stepped in on the side of repression. Come on. The church intervened and accused the workers' secret gatherings of sorcery. A A decree of the Sorbonne in 1655 proclaimed, Guilty of sacrilege and mortal sin, all those who were found in such bad company, end quote. The church up to the 16th century was the Catholic church. Its expressive corruptions and repressions provoked the rise of Protestant Reformation. But it's hard to see how people benefited in any way from the appearance of one more father church. Come on. Whew. Shall, uh uh-uh. Mm-mm. I know, I know, some of you non-denominational, ultra-progressive Christians about to be bothered, hot and bothered, you understand? Some of you supporters of the good old Southern Baptist Church and the independent fundamentalist church about to be all hot up under the collar. But this is the truth, okay? 
listen, the church up till the 16th century was the Catholic church. It's excessive corruptions and repressions provoked the rise of the Protestant Reformation. But it's hard to see how any people benefited in any way from the appearance of one more father church. Luther not only fought the papacy. During the time of the peasant revolt of 1500, Luther wrote furious pamphlets calling for the punishment of thieving, murderous gangs of peasants. And 100,000 peasants were slaughtered because of it. Nor did all those peasants forced into the cities into impoverished urban labor forces fare any better under reformist, uh, reformist Christianity, which was even more puritanical in its view of human labor as God's discipline, as God's punishment for the sin of being born. The peasants and the laborers were the people, and Christianity has always feared the people unless they were kept under strict physical, mental, and economic control. Ha! The Black Death swept Europe, uh, swept through Europe in 1348. It can be seen as a psychosomatic destruction of the body resulting from the intense institutional hatred of the flesh ruling everywhere. Oh my God. Oh, 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 oh. But when the people moved to save themselves, to become healthy and free, to revolt, the church state was quick and ready to crush their revolt as satanic. The continuous paranoid repression of human sexuality and creative psychic psychic capacities led to generation after generation of bizarre social phenomena like the dancing sickness in which hundreds of people danced themselves to death. Thank you to everyone that is tuning in. For those that are tuning in late, I am reading from the great, wonderful, prophetic works of Monica Zhu and Barbara Moore, both of whom are deceased, the great cosmic mother rediscovering the religion of the earth. We are on chapter 45, which is entitled The Witch Hunts, for those who want to, um, you know, read along. Under the feudal, uh, let's see, under the feudal system, the peasants had had a certain sense of security along with their oppression. They still lived in communal villages and retained ancient pagan customs and ritual traditions. When this system began to break down with the rise of the centralized church court, the peasants experienced large-scale famine, wars, poverty, uprootedness, and psychic disorientation. Europe was consumed by the belief in Satan and his black hosts, the demonic scapegoats for a rotten social and economic system. Come on, come on, make it plain. Europe was consumed by a belief in Satan and his black hosts as demonic scapegoats for the for a very rotten social and economic system populated by a repressed and fearful humanity during feudal times with secular power divided among feudal lords as we've said the church had never felt strong enough to move against the people especially the country peasants or their native pagan pagan religion but with growing, excuse me, with growing consolidation of religious royal, royal power within urbanized centers, the church became politically unchallenged. 
it aligned immediately with the kings against the people. At no time did it even consider aligning with the people. Instead, it quickly moved to secure its power through the forceful elimination of all rival religious beliefs. Okay, this is why pagan religion survived through at least a thousand years of Christian rule in Europe. Power rested in the countryside. Ooh, child, Mm-mm. this is a word today, okay? Don't just listen to what I am reading. Feel what I am saying. This is a word today, okay? The reason, this is why pagan religion survived for a thousand years through Christian rule in Europe. Power rested in the countryside. Missionaries were counseled by the Roman Pope to accommodate pagan religion where it could not be overcome. Thus, there are Christian churches throughout Europe built on the sites of pagan temples, and both pagan and Christian deities are pictured in many early European church reliefs. The naked goddess with her legs uh, spread wide open to show the origins of life, to show the origins of life, adorns the lintels of church doors, even uh, nunneries, in many parts of Celtic Britain, particularly in Ireland, where she is called Shilanagig. And in the same way, Christian symbols were incorporated into pagan festivals. Christian uh, Christmas is the winter solstice celebration, and it is also uh, and it is also the Roman Saturnalia. Uh, Saturnalia. The tree and gift exchange are pagan customs originating in goddess rituals. Santa Claus originated in Siberia in a Norse Santa Claus um, originated in Siberia in Norse and a Norse goddess named Hertha or Nerthus. The Scandinavian Yule season or Yule Jule season or Yule in Saxon originally celebrated the winter solstice as the wheel of the year, the sun rolling back from its furthest most point. Hule means wheel in Swedish. Easter is the pagan festival of spring, the year's rebirth or reconstruction. The name comes from the Saxon goddess of spring, Austere who also gives her name to the female estrus cycle. Her name is cognate with Neolithic Near Eastern goddess Astarte, Astarte, Ishtar, and Ashtoreth. The Near Eastern rabbits, the colored eggs hidden around in the grass, or rolled down the lawn are fertility symbols of the goddess. Finally, the golden number used to calculate the movable feast of Easter is based on lunar calculations and on the 1919-18 year eclipse cycle used by the Druids and earlier megalithic builders. The same number was once used to calculate the date of Christmas in relation to the winter solstice. Christian missionaries when they could, 
forbade the country people to worship their natural trees, springs, caves, and sacred stones. But they had at first no real power to enforce these taboos. And the peasants, good natural, good natural, good natured, good naturedly included some Christian reference in their own pagan ceremonies, which they continued to practice. Pagan people worldwide tend to be spiritually inclusive, not fanatic. And after all, European pagans already worship the great mother and her magic child. Christianity could incorporate itself into this worship without much trouble in its early days, in, without much trouble in its early days. For many centuries, it had no other choice. But with the breakdown of the feudal, come on, man, with the breakdown of the feudal system, largely through the church's ploy of sending fertile uh, feudal lords to fight and die in the crusades far away, uh, far away in the Holy Land, while the church was busy scheming to con- to gain control of their homelands in Europe. The power shifted from decentralized rural feudal to centralized city court. Oh, my God. Uh Oh, 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 come on, come on. Okay, let's see. Um, So with the, the, you know, the feudal lords far away fighting in the crusades to secure the Holy Land or whatever, uh, the church was busy scheming to gain control of their homelands in Europe. The power shifted from decentralized rural feudal to centralized city court. Feudal lords were bankrupted by the crusades were bankrupted by the Crusades um, and they returned to find urban loan sharks at their castle gates. They were unable to resist the rise of kings, their courts upheld by Rome and its priests. In the 13th and 14th centuries, the church began to gather the kind of total secularly armed power that would uh, that would allow it a couple of centuries later to burn a significant percentage of the European population out of existence. Oh, ha! Along with its ancient witch knowledge inherited by the Paleolithic caves. In these brutal and transitional centuries, there appeared many uh, messianic millennial movements among the people. Though they were loosely clothed in Christian sound and doc- Christian sound and doctrine and apocalyptic imagery, the populist nature of such movements made the um, anathema to made them anathema to the church, which condemned them as satanic. Many other movements were restless with resurgence resurgent pagan energy. Um, they were many links, practical and symbolic, between the witches, the Knights Templar, the Nox, the Gnostics, the Cabal, uh, the Kabbalists, and the uh, flagell the flagellants and the earlier crusades of the poor. 
These crusades were revolutions in embryo, striking terror into the hearts of the rich and the privileged, whose castles and mansions were frequently burned and sacked. There were ranters and diggers and Catholics who were among the first to be burnt for heresy. There were the Begards and the Beguines, uh, the Brethren and the Sisters of Free Spirits, women and men who advocated communal living and property and voluntary poverty. Begwine women refused to marry, claiming freedom of sexuality and spirit as their divine right. Communities of Begwine women could be found throughout 12th century Europe, and many women, artists, thinkers, and mystics were associated with them. Those women cities, the largest of them located in Flanders, were self-supporting. They developed crafts and educated children, educated girl children. Nominally Christian, nominally Christian, the Begwine women's communities refused to bow to church authority and were initially punished for their successful independence by heavy taxation and the breakup of their economies. Many Begwines, women and men, were bisexual. Our word buggering for, the, for male homosexuality comes from these buggers and beggars who lived in the days before standardized dictionaries, filling, uh, filling themselves to be the cosmic children of a divine parent, not a punitive father, even believing they could be living gods. The beggars and bagwines, uh, begwines claim to know nothing of mine and thine except the mutual ecstasy of being alive within the divine universe. Not surprisingly, they too were burnt. There are also widespread beliefs in the coming of a female, of a female Messiah. Y'all aren't hearing this, this, this y'all ain't here. Listen, there were also in Europe widespread beliefs of a of a coming in a coming of a female Messiah. Probably this is why Joan of Arc was eliminated as a secular and divine ritual of the church, the secular and divine rival of the church. She was a favorite of the people. Most of these groups and movements were whites were wiped out by the Inquisition or driven so far underground that they gave up remembrance of their beliefs and customs. But their psychic heirs continue to spring up everywhere and always, even to this day. Significantly, they always spring up among the people. Oh my God. Significantly, they always spring up among the people, baby. Among the poor, the young, the outcast, the women, the mad, the artists. Oh, my God. And they are always seen as a threat to the established patriarchal order. Rightly so. They are the children of the great mother struggling to regroup. Oh, my God. Listen, I'm in there today. I'm at an hour. I think it is so fitting that I'm in there today. Listen, if you don't know, now you know. If you don't know, now you know. We will pick up on Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for the continuation of the reading of Chapter 46 of this wonderful dynamic work of art and prophecy 
called The Great Cosmic Mother, Rediscovering the Religion of the Earth by Monica Zhu and Barbara Moore, baby. Yes. The chapter is chapter 46, um, which is entitled Denial of the Mother, Denial of the People. So we will continue again on Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. In the meantime, I'll probably be doing some updates on my YouTube channel. Um, my YouTube channel is Iyapo Moyende and Gina. It will be changing soon because I have gone back to um, using the name of my birth, which is Cassandra Faye Floyd. Iyapo Moyende and Gina served me, right, for this period. This is my evolutionary leap forward to go back to the name that my mother gave me when, you know, she suffered to have me. So soon, and I will keep you posted, I will be changing my YouTube channel name and all of my social media and everything back to Cassandra Faye Floyd. Uh, but in the meantime, you can go to Iyapo Moyende. That's I-Y-A-P-O-M-O-Y-E-N-D-E-N-G-I-N-A. Iyapo Moyende and Gina on YouTube to catch up. With the reading of The Great Cosmic Mother, we are on chapter 46. There are 52 chapters in the book. Um, so we will, you can go back, listen to those while you're driving or washing dishes or whatever. Also in there, uh, you can Google it for those who are on Instagram. All you got to do is Google The Great Cosmic Mother PDF. You can read the book for free online. My suggestion is either print it out or just go ahead and buy the damn book because you're going to need it. If you're serious about walking with me through human history and how to recreate the future, that's all this is about. I'm not reading this book from a pleasure. I'm not reading this book because I have so much leisure, leisure time. I am reading this book because everything that we are engaged in right now is creating the new world is right now. Every word we say, every act we participate in, every deed we do is creating the new world. And what are we creating? That's the question. In this moment, in this period, in this time, with what I say and how I behave and how I present in the world and how I treat others, what is the world that I am creating right now in this moment? This is the only way to deconstruct this shit because there is no amount of wars. There are no amount, no, are no amount of rebellions. There are no amount of, quote, armed struggles. I'm trying to tell you, I was a hardcore revolutionary. And I am telling you, there is not any amount of armed struggles that we can engage in, rebellions that we can engage in that is going to dismantle the quagmire that we are in, baby. So we have to be getting up in this shit. We have to be getting up into the secrets. We have to be getting up into the mysteries. We have to deconstruct this shit from beginning to end. And for us to have our starting point at just a couple of hundred years ago is problematic. That's what I'm telling you. That's what this book is helping me to understand the fourth time that I've read it. This book, among all others, I've read a lot of books, a lot of books that I herald as great, wonderful, prophetic works. But baby, this shit right here is the game changer. It is the bridger of all contradictions, the revealer of the origin of those contradictions. It is the great demystifier, baby. It is great demystifier, this book here. It is to me the evidence of the ability of channeling regardless of who you are and where you come from and what your social circumstances are. I rejected reading the book when I first got it. I was like, I ain't interested in reading nothing these white women got to say. They can't possibly tell me about 
who I am as an African in the world, you know, having been the descendants of enslaved Africans and shit, what, what can a woman from Sweden and a white woman from, uh, from Northern California teach me about the history of the world and my place in it? And I'm trying to tell you, I rejected for a long time. A homegirl tried to put me on a minute ago. And I was like, I, this sounds like some woo-woo, you understand? This sounds like something that ain't got shit to do with me, you understand? And it, I rejected this book for a long time. And then when I sat with this book, I have read this book from cover to cover four times. And I am telling you, if you can get out of your way, if you can be, if you can sit with your discomfort, because it's uncomfortable, it's an uncomfortable read. If you are genuinely interested in the evolution of who you are, if you are genuinely interested in deconstructing the fucking cancer that has plagued your goddamn consciousness and kept you away from source, kept you away from the possibility of true happiness. Like it is real. It can be real, right? Baby, you have to get comfortable. This is what this whole period is about. Here we are three months into a Pluto returns in, in America. Here we are confront Saturn just went goddamn retrograde last week. This motherfucker about to be retrograde for six months in a Pluto return in the United States of America. Honey, this whole period, this next two years is nothing but about shadow work. And if you can't get comfortable, if you cannot sit with that shit, that is the most uncomfortable. That is the most, that is, it is the thing that is begging, it's begging resolution. It's begging resolution. And that resolution can only come one or two ways, you see. So that's that's what I really want to say about this book. I have encouraged so many people over the years to read the book. They have all had the same response that I had in the beginning. I ain't interested in reading that shit. Like, what's that got to do with me? And then they read it and they're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This book has actually changed. I felt myself evolve when reading this book. I'm just trying to tell you. So thank you again. Those who tuned in, please go to my YouTube channel, like, subscribe and share. Go into the description so that you can uh, so that you can download the book and follow along as I read. Take notes because you will need to. I'm telling you, it will change your life. It will change you. It will change you. This is not about information consumption or none of that shit. This is about evolutionary growth, baby. These this is about evolutionary leaps forward. So if you ain't ready for that, then then it don't apply to you. No, no harm, no foul. But baby, if you're talking about changing the world, if you are talking about de deconstructing the quagmire that we are all afflicted by, you better get in this work. You better get in this work because I'm not doing this for me. I'm sitting here reading live to two or three people every night, but I know what it's about. And I have to trust that. I have to trust that even though there are 10,000 things that I could be doing with my time for an hour each day, sometimes two, if spirit moves me, that this is going to touch someone. I've been getting emails from people in South Africa and goddamn New Zealand about the reading of this book. Even women who have read the book are like, oh my God, when I heard you read it, I heard something else than what I read. I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, get in this work.
if you really trying if you really trying to set this shit off, get in this work. It's a starting point. I'm not saying it's the answer, but I'm saying to be well informed about what it is that we are engaging in and what it is we are being called to do, we have to have a, a, a better analysis than that's than that's the than the one that's been handed to us perpetually. And I'm talking about all of us, baby. We all been hand handed, force fed, spoon fed the analysis. Even the so-called revolutionaries, even so-called nationalists, whether you whether you want to accept it or not, baby, you've been handed your narrative. You've been spoon fed your narrative about the origin of your issue. You've been given an analysis about your place in the world, baby. I'm trying to tell you. And so we have to develop an analysis about why we are where we are and the role that each one of us must play to transform it. That is everyone. That is black folks, brown folks, red folks, yellow folks, other folks. LGBTQIA, white people, we all have a role to play, baby. That's what I mean by uncomfortable. As an as a you know, as a self-proclaimed nationalist that I was, this book was wildly uncomfortable for me to read and accept. That's why this shit's still coming through. As I'm deconstructing layers of bullshit. It opens up the way for more epiphany to come to me. I'm taking notes in this book every time I read to you guys as if I have, as if the book ain't well read. Look at all these tabs over the years, all these motherfucking notes and shit over the years. And every time I read it, some other institution that has been constructed in my brain, in my consciousness, in my spirit, in my flesh falls the fuck off. Allowing more to come to me, more epiphany to come to me. But I had to be open to receive that. I couldn't go into the book saying, I already know everything that there is to know about the nature of all things on earth, all contradictions and shit. And so this book can't really teach me nothing. I could not go into the book that way. I had to go into the book as a student, willing and open to the idea, just like I was at 24 years old and I joined the movement, willing and open to the idea and the possibility and the very, the very uneasy reality that everything I knew up until that point has been a lie or a misconfiguring of the truth. That's what, that's what's called, that's the period is calling on that for us to relinquish our institutions. You understand? For us to be brave enough, baby, to be willing to part with that that cannot serve us in the future. Whatever that that is, baby. Whether that is your ideas, whether that is your religion, whether that is your tradition, whether that is your culture, whether that is your belief, whether that is your nationalism, honey, we bet we have to be ready. Don't mean it has to happen, but we have to be open to the possibility that it will. And the only thing that can come with a resol- with a resolution met is evolution. No steps backward. The only thing that can happen 
when a resolution is finally met, baby, that is begging to be resolved, begging, begging to be resolved. The only thing that can happen is forward motion, baby. The only thing that can happen is evolution. That's it. That's all. So that's my diatribe. I'm going to just tell you one more time. The book that is the new Bible, baby, is the great cosmic mother rediscovering the religion of the earth by Monica Zhu and Barbara Moore. Written in 1987. Reads like it could have been written yesterday, about today. You understand? Get in the book, download it, go to my YouTube page, make sure you share, especially this chapter on witch hunts. To me, it's the most uncomfortable chapter because we have an idealized, incorrect, inhumane understanding of Europe and the descendants of Europe. I'm sorry. Our nationalism requires it. It does. I get it. You understand? Our nationalism requires us to believe that white people are the devil, that white people are the ultimate bad guys in human history and shit. I get it. I understand. I understand, baby. I understand. But to know the history of Europe and it being the starting place, the, the not even the starting, let me, let me backtrack. It being at least the seed of this most recent personification of the face of patriarchy. Because patriarchy was emerging every motherfucking where. You understand? Um, yeah. So I'm going to go. But I want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Go to my uh, YouTube page. Yapo and Gina. Uh, Yapo and Gina. And I'll see you again at Friday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.